This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Uh, Wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. <clears throat> You're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Hey, I'm Latif Nasser. This is Radio Lab. Uh, starting with a quick announcement, but a fun one. Uh, our merch store, which we're calling Camp Radio Lab this time around because there's this great camp inspired t shirt, is open for one more week. Uh, head on over to radiolab.org slash shop sometime before July 29th. Uh, you can get aforementioned t-shirt as well as hats and sweatbands and other summer gear, water bottle. Um, once you are decked out in all that Radiolab swag, take a pic, tag us on Insta or Twitter. Um, yeah, just show off your nerdy summer self. We'd love to see it. Again, that is radiolab.org slash shop for all your summer gear needs, um, which you will need because it is hot. I am sweating. You may be sweating. Uh, you may not be able to think about anything other than the next time you can get in a pool or a walk-in freezer or something. But let me ask you about something you are probably not thinking about, which is how are those New Year's resolutions from seven months ago? How are you doing with those? Um, I ask because... The episode you are about to hear, uh, which is an oldie, uh, it's called You Versus You. It's all about this kind of struggle, this struggle between the prudent, well-planned version of you that you imagined in the past and and then the impulsive instant gratification chasing you of of this moment right now. And, And if you, like me, are a kind of living, walking mockery of your own imagination of yourself from the past. Maybe this episode will help. Um, Who knows? Either way, I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. You versus you. Okay, from the top, you ready? Yep. Hello. 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 How are you doing? We're going to start things off today with this lady. Zelda Gamson. Welcome to our little spot. It's beautiful. Thank you. She's 80 years old, and these days Zelda lives a quiet life by the sea. On Martha's Vineyard. Did you have some coffee? She visits with her grandkids, does some gardening. We have a bird feeder, and it is the bird show of the world. (laughs) But life for Zelda wasn't always so calm. Back in the 60s, when our story begins, she was a very different kind of lady. She even went by a different nickname, just Z. Okay, I was a smoker 30 years. I started when I went to college in 1954. At first, it was just a cigarette here or there. Letting the bad girl out a bit. And then I got hooked, really, and I couldn't stop. Went to graduate school, smoked, got my dissertation, smoked, got my degree, smoked. And somewhere in the fog, she meets... 
Hi. My friend Mary. Also a smoker. Loved smoking. Made me feel very elegant. (laughs) We were very good friends. We were part in the early 60s of the Congress on Racial Equality. Together they'd organize protests. Well, we would demonstrate. And the two of them would even go undercover to fight. Housing discrimination. And the backdrop to all of this social change? Smoke. Yeah, you got it. I mean, our houses were filled with these ashtrays. How much were you smoking at that point? Probably smoked a packet a day. I was a worse smoker than Mary. You know, I was sometimes up to two packs a day. Wow. You know, I had kids. I was pregnant. Um, You smoked while you were pregnant? I did. Wow. Yeah. I feel so guilty about that. So at a certain point, Zelda and Mary decide... They want to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mary, who'd never been as badly addicted as Zelda, it wasn't easy. It was agonizing. But eventually she's able to do it. Zelda? No. I thought sometimes that I could stop, and so I would. Over and over, she'd throw out her cigarettes. Okay. Done. But then? Then I'd be around somebody with cigarettes. Oh, F. Any reason that she'd give herself. Cancer. My kids. The smell. The fact that I could die. It always lost out. (sighs) to the urge. And I'd always start smoking again. And this is how it would go. Resolve. (sighs) Failure. Resolve. (sighs) Failure. Okay, so this is not the most unusual situation in the world, but the question we want to ask right now is like, how do you get out of this? You know, you want to do something badly, but then another part of you says, no, I don't want to do that. So you against you, what do you do? I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. This is Radio Lab, and today... The little deals that you make when you are stuck with yourself. Okay, so before talking with Zelda, it just so happened that I went with Adam Davidson, Hi. one of the Planet Money guys, to visit uh, this fellow Nobel Prize-winning economist named Thomas Schelling, who's written a whole lot about the seemingly simple idea of... Commitment. Arranging it so that... You can't compromise. I'll give you an example. Here's one from ancient Greece. Xenophon the Greek, who uh, was being pursued by a huge army of Persians, had to make a stand on a hillside. And one of his generals said, I don't think this is a good location to make our stand. There's a cliff behind us. There's no way we can retreat if we need to. And Xenophon told his general, exactly. Welcome the cliff. In fact, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march our armies so that their backs are directly to the cliff. That way, the Persians will know that we can never retreat. We're bound to fight to the death. You're really binding yourself. You're not binding the other side. Yeah. It's, it's attempting to influence somebody else's choice by restricting your own choice. But then we asked him, what if your adversary isn't on the outside like the Persians, but rather it was you? <laughs> How do you do what Xenophon did to yourself. Yeah, I, uh, I began smoking when I was 17 years old. I, I did quit several times, but I always uh, went back. Ooh. But he did, tell, he did give us some suggestions. Mm-hmm. One in particular that was so awesome, to use your favorite word, I so hate, I... diabolical yeah. that we just didn't think anyone would ever do it. That is, until we met Zelda. Yeah. Fast forward a few decades. 1984. Mary and Zelda now live in different parts of the country. I happened to be 
going to a conference in Vermont, and Mary picked me up at the airport. Right. And I was smoking when she picked me up. Which was curious because nobody smokes anymore. She said, why, Zelda, are you still smoking? And Zelda said, yeah, and don't tell me to stop. (laughs) I was very belligerent. Yes. (laughs) So I went to the conference and smoked. And were they guilty cigarettes? No, they were delicious. <laughs> but what Mary said was starting to worm its way into her brain. Are you still smoking? Still smoking? Still smoking? Still smoking? And when she dropped me off at the airport, I said, Okay, Mary, as if she had been putting pressure on me, which she wasn't at all. If I ever smoke again, I'm going to give $5,000 to the Ku Klux Klan. What? Did she say $5,000 to the Ku Klux Klan? Correct. This was Schelling's suggestion. It can work. But he didn't think anyone would ever do it. $5,000 to the Ku Klux Klan. It just came out of my mouth. You know how horrible they are, right? Sure. So heinous. But her and Mary made a deal. Uh, packed. If Zelda smoked, she'd have to tell Mary... To send the KKK her money. Take it out of my savings or something. And you were really serious you were going to do this? Yeah. But I have to say, after I made this pledge to Mary, under my breath, I said, but I can't be responsible if she smokes again. What? If she smokes again? If she smokes again. Who's the she in that sentence? Me. You. What does that mean? Well, that means that a part of me, the part of me that was smoking and that might pick up smoking again was an alien part. You're saying you were two people at that moment? Yeah. And she? Zeke didn't really want to stop smoking. She? She, yeah. After the pact, Zelda says that often when she would fall asleep... I would dream of myself smoking... And she'd wake up in a terrible sweat. Reach for her cigarettes. But every time, she says, this other thought would just rush into her mind. The KKK. Robes, burning crosses, lynchings. Oh, God. And she'd throw the cigarettes down. I couldn't. The idea of them having her money? I can't even imagine it. Sounds like you really backed yourself up against the cliff. I did. (laughs) Zelda had found a thought that was hotter than the urge. And she didn't smoke again. Never again? No. That was it. Cold turkey. Wow. Look at this. There's a picture of me on a cruise that Bill and I took. Here she is. (laughs) It's a profile picture of me. Look at the cigarette. (laughs) I look gorgeous there. See, that's the best picture ever taken of me. Now, if we are many people on the inside, and we've talked about this on the show before, how, like, our brain is literally divided into these camps that sometimes wrestle and right. fight. Well, the problem, I think the problem is according to Thomas Schelling, is that these selves... Never exist simultaneously. We're never at the table together. The one who's in charge never confronts the other. I guess that makes it hard to compromise. 
Although, you know, there is another way to think about the problem. Things that are offered right now have so much more power than things that are offered in the future. Uh, This is David Eagleman. He's a neuroscientist. And he says, you know, really, you could think about this whole thing as a battle about time. We'll make all sorts of very poor economic decisions. Now versus later, really. If something is offered right now versus later. When you look at the neuroimaging, it becomes clear that there are different parts of the brain that that are battling this out. And the now parts are way stronger. Yes. Here's the key. What she's doing in the case of the cigarettes is she's saying... I know that I want to win this long-term battle, but I'm having a heck of a time doing it. But if I can make the long-term plan tied into a different immediate feeling of disgust, then all I have to do is have the disgust battle the the desire. I see. So what she's done is she's turned this battle into a present tense battle on both sides. I want a cigarette now. Versus I hate the KKK now. Now. Precisely. So it's a now versus now thing. And I think that's the only way we ever win these long-term battles is to give them some sort of emotional salience, some reason why they matter to us right now. Otherwise, it'll never work. And there are any number of ways of doing this. Here is how Thomas Schelling did it. 1980, gather my children together. And I said, I quit. And that... They should never have respect for their father again if I return to smoking. And he never, he never did. Yeah, that was it for him. Huh. The thing I like about about those two stories is that, like, there's a case where, like, okay, say you've got these cells battling in your head. You've got the now part and the later part, and the later part's weak. Yeah. In this case, the later part found a way to trick the now parts. Mm. And this has a name. This kind of approach. It's called a Ulysses contract. In the Iliad... Make that the Odyssey. There's a moment where Ulysses and his men have to sail past the island of the sirens. And Ulysses knows if they hear the siren song, they're dead. Sailors were so attracted to these melodies that they would steer towards them and crash their ships into the rocks and die. So on his way there, before the music started, he came up with a plan. He had his men lash him to the mast with ropes so that he couldn't move. And he had them fill their own ears with beeswax. And he said, no matter what I do, no matter how I'm gesticulating or shouting or acting like a crazy man, just keep rowing, just keep going. And so when they got to the sirens, Ulysses, he goes nuts. And he's screaming and yelling and telling the men, go towards the women, we don't want to pass this up. And of course the men have beeswax in their ears. They're not swayed by the siren song. Because he had planned for this. The present tense Ulysses, by using his men and the rope, had literally bound the future Ulysses to the mast. Because he knew that guy would be weak. Radio Lab is supported by Betterment. Let's talk about you and your money. You like your free time, you like to relax every now and then, you like to feel totally chill, but your money, your money likes to work. And Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. While you're catching up on sleep, your money is up early, earning 11 times the national average in a high-yield cash account. Your money is a multitasker, diversified in expert-built portfolios of low-cost ETFs. And your money is optimized with automated tax-efficient strategies, just like the pros use. Your money is a total workhorse, so you don't have to be. Because you've got Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. 
Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, a young writer attaches himself to a rising star in politics named Barack Obama. Interesting guy. Speaks in what sound like paragraphs. Very good posture, that guy. Enviable posture. <laughs> I am a writer, and I have this, this very slight hunch. He has none of that. A political coming-of-age story from staff writer Vincent Cunningham, plus actor and director Bradley Cooper, all on the New Yorker Radio Hour from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcast. We can just move off the ocean for just a moment. Gone. Get out of here, ocean. (laughs) Radio. What a weird medium. Anyway, (laughs) what if the bargain that you strike isn't just about something, you know, very, very small and now, like this puff of smoke? What if it's a a deal that you have to do that will decide what you're going to do for every day of the next 40 years? Yeah. What then? Well, this brings us to a story from our producer, Pat Walters. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, set it up. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm in Chinatown. About a year ago, the corner of Hell and Ma- uh, my friend Jenny posted something on Twitter. It said, overheard. I flipped a coin, and I lost my life. I flipped a coin and lost my life? Yes. And what's Twitter? No, I mean she. She actually heard someone say this. Yeah, she was just like she's a reporter. She was just chatting with the guy, and he and he said he said that to her. I flipped a coin, and I lost my life. Wow, what was the context? Uh, well, she was getting a massage in Chinatown. And how would that phrase come up in the middle of a massage? I, I don't. I, I honestly don't know. But I, she's a reporter. Did she? Did she ask? She didn't, she didn't I, say, "Get your hands off me, man, and tell me the story." I don't know exactly what went down, but I asked her what the situation was. She said that she basically didn't know anything, but she just heard that. She heard it, and she told me that it was at this place that was like either at one of seven different addresses that she gave me. So I just wandered around. Uh, do, do you know of some place around here called Health Trail? A massage place? I have no idea. No? Wandered around to several different addresses. Damn. And eventually I found this tiny little storefront. There's a little sign with some feet. Hello. Kind of hidden. Oh. You want to see my my son? And I found the guy who said the thing. Hi. Hi. Ooh. How are you? I'm okay. His name is Dennis. Uh, Dennis? And I just asked him, tell me about this coin flip. Can you tell me, can you, so when did this happen? Well, it happened about four years ago. I was 26 and my brother was uh, 21. Both of them had gone to college, Dennis for photography, photography, his brother for art. And they'd come out of school with these big dreams. Being new places, meeting new people, making a life and making money. But that hadn't really worked out. No job for me. They're having a hard time finding jobs, and they ended up living at home with their dad. Yeah, with my dad. So basically, I just stay at home take pictures. And my brother... He's just working at a restaurant. Low life eater. This is basically post-college flail. Yeah. Like they're stuck. Stuck in the middle of the road. That's what happened to us. One day, their dad comes up to them and says, Look, guys. One of you guys got to follow me. I need one of you. I don't care which one of you, but I need one of you to take over the family business. My father's getting all just decided either both of you come out or one of you come out. Uh, so one of them now has to carry on his, his thing. Yeah. What does the dad do? He runs this massage parlor. Yeah. Sons, 
We're not interested. So, yeah, neither of us want, really want to do it. That's Kai. Kai Wu. Dennis's little brother. Because touching people's food is some kind of disgusting, right? You know, he's always a hairy guy or like some girls like busted toes. It's disgusting and annoying facing a father for 24 hours, 7 days a week. Yeah, like, a little more than I can take. Like, I love my dad. <laughs> but you just don't want to follow your dad's footsteps. But the dad says, get over it. It's about family. Keeping the business alive. Keeping the technique he has alive in the whole Chinatown. I don't think any massage place or any therapy place will have my father's technique. It's a special kind of thing? Yeah, it's this like deep tissue acupressure. It's painful. Type massage. I don't know if Jenny told you that. No. It's really, really painful. Anyhow, they're sitting at home. And this question is kind of like silently hanging over them for days and weeks. Till one day... They're at a friend's place having some tea, talking about their dad, and Dennis looks up at his brother and says, Let's make a bet. Let's do the tea leaves thing. The what? Let's see what the, what the, what the tea leaves say. Well, Dennis says, when you're drinking loose tea the Chinese way, you put the leaves right in the bottom of your cup, and you pour the water over them. And usually, the leaves float up to the top, flat on the surface of the tea. But every now and then... Every 10 cup, you might see the tips is floating. And the rest of the body is inside of water. So like the stem, sort of? Yeah, yeah. And then the leaf is hanging down? Yeah. You mean like every so often, instead of the whole leaf being on the top of the water, the leafy part just falls to the bottom? And yeah, and just the tip of the stem is touching the, the surface of the water, almost like it's hanging down from the surface of the water. And this is rare? Yeah. So when you get that, that means it's good luck. And is that like a traditional... That's one of old people that was doing it. That's how we understand it when we was kids. So we just decide, okay, whoever get that. Whoever gets the most lucky tea leaves. Win. <laughs> whoever win, you're out. You don't need to work for my dad. Yeah. Whoever lost, follow my father's footsteps. They trusted their whole future to this? Yeah. So it, was like, it was like a spur of the moment thing. It, were, yeah, it was. We didn't re- yeah, we didn't really plan anything. So like sometimes people just flip a coin. Yeah. Like they can't figure out which way should they go. So they just flip a coin. When you pour, pour the hot water in, they were like rolling around like a small tornado inside. They were spinning. And then, once it's done, each cup has a layer of tea leaves on the surface. And Dennis notices, so, whoa, look at it, that he'd gotten one. One piece. So I was like, wow, that's yeah. incredible. Then he looked over to his brother's cup. Oh my God way more of these lucky leaves. It was pretty obvious, you know, that he lost. And it wasn't even close. No. Nah. <laughs> Do you remember if he was, like, angry or...? He looks like he was deep in thought. I'm thinking, like, damn. It was like, it's the worst thing in my life. And it basically was. Because now he was bound by these tea leaves to go and work for his dad. Oof. What, what happened? Did you... The first day I come here to work, I don't feel like touching anybody's foot. So he forced me to touch his foot. Did he have to, like, grab your hand and... He would just sit there, take off his shoe, without washing his feet. Okay, that's kind of disgusting. So he just tell me to try to work on it. His dad eventually said, practice on your friends. I was like, oh, God, no. They still hate me right now for giving them all the pain. When that was gone, do you remember like what was going through your head? Were you like, what am I doing? Like, did you feel like you're on the wrong track? Well, um, I don't know how to explain. Here's the funny thing. 
Then it says that there came a point. After a month working on my father's feet, I don't feel disgusting anymore. I feel kind of like it. He likes it? Yeah. I don't know why. It's just like making me, ah, it seems nice to work on people. Um, I don't know how to explain. I just start falling in love with this job. Yeah. I don't know how it happened. It's just that I'm working here seven days of the week. It's like become part of my life. Wake up in the morning, come here, work. Go home, sleep, come here and work. So it's just become part of my life. And when I got a day off, I don't know where to, where to go. I'm just staying home. Uh, let me come back out here and work. Really? That's what happened. It's just that I think that's how foreign love is. You don't know how to happen, when it's happened. It just happened. But it was a good loss, I was thinking. I love this job now. So it sounds like he made this deal with fate, and he just got lucky. No. No. Kai has a slightly different read on the whole thing. Well, so if he had won, would you have had to do it? No. No? No. No? No. Kai says the whole tea leaf deal was really just about Dennis. I think at that point, in the back of his head, he wanted to do it. Just an excuse. I think he was just looking for a sign. I'd have to ask him, I guess. And when I did ask Dennis, he didn't really agree with his brother. Well, it's just uh, how you say it. But he didn't entirely disagree either. Not that because I wanted to do it. It's just like, it's kind of I'm using my brother to push me to work for my dad. That's what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I don't think he wanted to make his own decision. It might be better I'll just work for my dad, but I don't want to face him. So if my brother just pushed me, okay, I'll be facing him. Ah. That's, that could be what happened. So he just needed a push. All right. What a wimpy thing to do, though. You know, when you think about it. Why is that wimpy? Well, I mean, he he wanted to be a masseuse, you know? And he, he didn't, didn't know have, what he wanted. You know, he knew, and he set up his brother to make him do it. So no, it's, it's very no. If, if you call it wimpy... I call it wimpy. I call it uh, powerfully wimpy. Muscularly wimpy. <laughs> Meaning what? What does that mean? Meaning that... Uh, oh, I got one for you. I'm going to lay this. You ready for this? Maybe the new strength is understanding your own wimpiness. What do you think about that? Ooh, I just, I just tied you into a philosophical <laughs> knot right there, buddy. You're going to be thinking about that one for years. I'm thinking about it. I'm overthinking no, just, about just it. Just take it in. Take it in. The complexity. <laughs> <laughs> Can I speak now? No, David's going to say something. This is who we are. I mean, that's the reality on the ground. We're just weak. We need help. And I actually think this gives this gives us a new way to think about and understand virtue. I think it gives us a much richer view of human nature. Thanks to Pat Walters, our Chinatown correspondent, and to Thomas Schelling, who's written many, many books, including The Strategy of Conflict, and to Adam Davidson from the Amazing Planet Money team, and to David Eagleman. Something to note since this story aired is that Thomas Schelling passed away in 2016 at the age of 95, and Mary Belenke passed away in 2020 at the age of 87. David Eagleman released a new book in 2020 called Live Wired. You should check it out. It's a great read. Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, 
Sindhu Nanasabandam, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwen, Alex Neeson, Sarah Kari, Anna Rasquipaz, Sarah Sandback, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster, with help from Bowen Wong. Our fact checkers are Diane Kelly, Emily Krieger, and Natalie Middleton. Hi, my name is Teresa. I'm calling from Colchester in Essex, UK. Leadership support for Radiolab Science Programming is provided by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, Science Sandbox, the Seymans Foundation Initiative, and the John Templeton Foundation. Foundational support for Radiolab was provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. 